wait a second, why are you doing it this way? And the answer that we got back was, well, that's because that's the way that we did it last year. Okay, look, there are knit solutions, not necessarily big ERPs um, and not necessarily like Excel, where we can go in and we can take our backgrounds in terms of accounting and technology and really help a client with a solution. We can look at that, look at it holistically, look at it from the start of the creation of an interaction with a client or a customer, right? And then actually track it all the way through to you actually record revenue in the system, right? And you think about that, that's about, you know, maybe 10 hops. I have been at many clients where they have, you know, had upwards of 150 use cases. And, you know, I've said, look, you know, let's actually turn that and map that specific example. We got them down to 15. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization. By streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Pete Schrader, partner at PwC. Now here's your host, M. Daigle, passionate revenue accountant, RevRec Automation Expert and General Manager of Zora Revenue. Welcome, Pete. Thanks for joining me today. We've had uh, a lot of conversations over the years and uh, really excited to have you here today so all of our listeners can uh, hear a little bit more as well. My pleasure. Super excited to be here and uh, thank you for having me. So before we jump in and get down to business, um, would love to get to know a little bit more about you. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. So kind of curious, a a question that I always like to ask is around how you might explain your job to your family. And that doesn't count if somebody in your family does something similar to what you do, but maybe something that somebody doesn't do similar to you, how you explain your job to them. Yeah, no, Emily, great question. Um, And probably the way that I would say it is what I do is I help our clients and companies specifically address new accounting change. Um, Not necessarily from a policy perspective, but from a people, process, and technology perspective. And basically help to make that process more effective and more efficient. I like that because I have to say there's a lot of times where if I even mention accounting to anybody that I know, they ask if my busy season is tax season. And I'm like, I don't do tax and anything to have to do with it. But I think it's where everybody who isn't in accounting, where their mind jumps to. So I'm always kind of curious what kind of answer I get. I get the same thing all the time. Oh, so can you do my taxes? Can you help with the taxes? And the short story is, unfortunately, no, I can't, right? That's not my area of expertise. But um, yeah, a lot of fun stuff. And I'd, I'd really say it's really kind of helping um, individuals account for transaction activity. So really, really cool stuff. Yeah, perfect. Let's jump into that. But before we do, one quick question that I ask every single guest, because I have gotten the widest range of answers, which I thought I had heard them all. And then I suddenly keep getting these other new ones as well. How do you think of the holistic revenue process? Do you think of it as order to revenue, quote to cash, lead to reporting? How do you refer to it? Um, it it's a great question. Um, and, I, and I think, um, you know, it's interesting. It's evolved over time. Um, you know, if you were to go back 10 years ago, I probably would have said, well, it's just revenue, 
right? But I think, you know, <laughs> as we've kind of looked at it holistically, I, I call it quote to cash, um, QTC. Um, but the reality of the situation is, in my opinion, this is probably the single most important uh, financial cycle um, that companies need to deal with, right? How do you actually, you know, drive that new business? How do you actually uh, account for that transaction? Um, and then ultimately, how is that represented in your financial statement? So I, I would say quote to cash um, if I was to give it a, a title. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, it's really cool to kind of see how over time it's expanded, right? Moving from, again, just the focus of revenue. If you go back in time um, when the authoritative guidance came out and said, hey, look, you have to adopt by 2018 if you're public or 2019 if you're private. Um, but just seeing how, you know, companies got in place solutions for that, you know, a, a meeting the objectives. But then the reality is, if you look at it for actually what the, um, I'll say, overarching objective was, it wasn't just to solve for revenue. It was to solve for the entire quote to cash cycle, right? And it's a transaction that's going to flow from beginning, um, i.e. that quote to end, which is cash. Great answer. And I think the most important thing there is how it's evolved. And so I'm also curious kind of like where it keeps going to, because it really has evolved a lot over time, but particularly in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, I, I feel like there's been this expansion. I think there's a lot of technology that is probably, you know, to thank for that. Um, but kind of curious, you know, like this is your wheelhouse, right? So tell um, our listeners a little bit about your current work, what has you excited right now and, and what like dive in a little bit more on what it is that you actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. I mean, maybe a couple of reactions. I mean, you covered a lot of topics there. The, the most interesting piece that I would say is that I think we're actually seeing a lot of companies, business models changing and they're changing more towards um, subscription uh, consumption slash usage business models um, and I think that that uh, fundamental change in the market, whether you sit in the technology sector or you sit in the financial services sector, um, we're really seeing that, that you know, to drive um, more consistent revenue, um, that those models, um, the consumption and the um, subscription are really starting to move out of the tech sector into all of the others. Um, you know, as you think about some of the you know, I'll say taglines that we've started to see, you know, the move away from ownership uh, to usership. You know, I think that that's really actually changing the way we're working. Um, and generative AI, right, is probably the biggest buzzword in today's market. Um, and the reality is generative AI, in my opinion, is going to evolve products, right, and product portfolios of companies. But what it's doing is it's going to add a subscription or consumption component to it, right? If you have, you know, product A, um, and that could be, let's call it an industrial product, and you're going to incorporate some type of generative AI solution into that, um, you know, that's going to actually now add a subscription component. Maybe you're going to sell that in addition to the product. And so I just see these models continuing to evolve um, as you look into the future. And the challenge that companies are facing as they're, looking at these new business models is that their current systems, their current processes can't handle it, right? And I think that that's where I come in. So you asked, what, what do I do, right? Well, I help companies um, take advantage of the fact that there are automation op options um, 
uh, say that five times fast. So there's automation options, right? That really, you know, companies should take advantage of that are out there in the marketplace. Um, that they need to start thinking about um, whether they're, you know, in the infantile stages and a very small part of their business is moving to consumption and usage or the majority of it, right? Just because, again, I think that's what we're going to see in the future. I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't actually predict exactly what's going to happen. But if I were a betting man, I would say that that's probably where we're going to see companies, you know, move into the future and that you're going to see a lot more of that revenue stream that was consistent for the tech sector is going to be consistent across all industries. I think you're spot on. It's a topic that has really worked its way into pretty much every conversation I have right now. There's very few times where I talk with a customer um, or, or a prospect and they're not talking about consumption. So it's been a really interesting shift, um, even from like a year, year and a half ago, where it was just starting to you know bubble up and and some companies and businesses were really trying, starting to try it out. But now, to your point, Pete, it's beyond just the, the the tech industry and all of these other ways that other traditional or more traditional industries are kind of adopting that that same sort of um, business model. So it's it's been really really interesting. Hey there, I'm M Daigle, passionate revenue accountant and general manager for Zora Revenue. I've been working on something really exciting that I don't think you're going to want to miss. On September 12th, we're going to be hosting our very first Modern Accounting Summit with our friends at EY, PwC, and Deloitte. It's a virtual event, and we're offering CPE credits for it. So please join us as we talk about our State of Revenue Accounting report. We're also going to be talking about generative AI as it relates to accounting workflows. And we're going to have a roundtable discussion with a number of accounting leaders. So again, you're not going to want to miss it. And if you can't join us live, please still register because you'll be eligible for those CPE credits even when you watch on demand. Hope to see you there. Let's jump to the general ledger. as you're doing all of this consulting, what, what got you interested in consulting in the first place? I know you've been at PwC for quite a while, to say the least, but kind of curious, like what got you into it and what keeps you going after all of these years being a consultant? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a great question, Em, and, and maybe I'll hit you with the headline first and then I'll explain a little bit more. I'd say the headline is, I feel that I'm continually growing and developing. Um, this is actually my 28th year at PwC, right? So a very long time. You know, I started in core audit, um, and as I was going through that, and I had accounting background, that was my education out of university. Um, one of the things that was actually just really cool is that I, you know, I really enjoyed understanding how accounting worked. It was logical for the most part, right? Um, and so it kind of made sense. Uh, you know, math came relatively easy to me, and I enjoyed it. Um, and so I got into the uh, accounting slash auditing side, and then I, I kind of saw how a lot of my clients were doing things very manually. And it, it actually just gave me some ideas to like, wait a second, why are you doing it this way? And the answer that we got back was, well, that's because that's the way that we did it last year. Um, and I kind of scratched my head and be like, <clears throat> okay, I get it. But like, wouldn't you want to try and change the solution so that there's, you know, less repetitive work, that you're truly <clears throat> engaging in using your mind, your thoughts, and 
and, and adding value in that range. Um, and that you could leverage technology um, to take advantage of the majority of the repetitive types of activities. Um, and so, you know, as I was um, in my third year as, as an auditor, I thought, you know, look, <clears throat> I'd like to actually be on the other side of the house uh, as opposed to looking at, you know, accounting that has already been done and confirming if it's been done accurately and completely and, you know, in accordance with audit assertions and actually flipping that to how can I help my clients or companies um, that we're, uh, we're working with to use automation, to use technology. Um, and so that actually required me to, you know, go back to a night program, which I did, right? Because my, my uh, um, education historically was in accounting. Um, and although I had a, a desire and a want to learn more about technology, you know, there are fundamental concepts that you need to, to learn, right? Um, and so I did that. And then I started moving into various implementation uh, solutions, right? Whether it be, you know, some of the, the ERP or whether it would be around activity-based models. Um, and it was interesting to me, you know, just core implementations. It seemed like it was almost a race to the bottom, meaning who can do it for less? Um, and then I started realizing that there's a value in having both the accounting background as well as the technology background, right? And so I spent, I don't know, let's say another four years doing the implementation. So now I've got eight years under my belt, four years as an auditor in accounting, four years of system implementation. And then I went down the path of saying, okay, look, there are knit solutions, not necessarily big ERPs um, and not necessarily like Excel, where we can go in and we can take our backgrounds in terms of accounting and technology and really help a client with a solution. Maybe it's specifically to my comments earlier around uh, implementation of automation for subscription solutions and consumption models, right? We can look at that, look at it holistically, look at it from the start of the creation of an interaction with a client or a customer, right? And then actually track it all the way through to you actually record revenue in the system, right? And you think about that, that's about, you know, maybe 10 hops. And if you understand that entire process, Right? And that's the accounting side and the system side. And then you can kind of, quote unquote, use that to the benefit of understanding that end-to-end uh, cycle on how systems could be used or process could be automated. You know, it's really kind of a unique capability that I think, frankly, our clients struggle with. And, you know, being able to bring that unique solution set to the table is something that is really exciting for me. And, you know, frankly, it's kept me um, really excited, motivated, and continually learning um, and what I thought would actually have a tail that would be relatively small, um, just kind of helping a few clients with this, I see the tail as almost being endless. It seems like clients continue to struggle with this. And the, and the cool thing is there's not a one-size-fits-all model. So it's not like you're like, oh, here you go. Here's the answer to it. You really have to kind of understand what the client's specific unique situation is, and then you tailor it, right? So anyway... Over time, that's kind of been my progression. Um, and, you know, the one thing that I would say I really enjoyed is, you know, I am continually learning. I am continually growing. And, you know, where I might be in the next five years might be slightly different, but I think it'll follow a similar path. I, I think that's really interesting. And I think there's something to, to having the different levels of expertise. A lot of times, you know, someone might have a very specific focus in accounting or on technology, but to have that kind of put together is is really unique and gives you the ability to go have those conversations. And I imagine 
that's some of what helps you build that right size solution. But kind of curious, like, how do you kind of approach that? How do you think about right sizing a solution? And do you have like any specific examples that you can give? Yeah, um, great question. I mean, I think to the point that I had made, every client situation is a little bit unique, right? And depending on what the client's needs are, the solution should actually be able to support that. Um, you know, it's interesting um, just to use a, a solution um, or maybe an accounting um, pronouncement that we're commonly working with. So I work a lot with ASC 606 um, revenue from contract with customers. And one of the specific requirements of that is that you need to calculate a standalone selling price or an SSP. Um, you know, the interesting piece is that they're, um, you know, on a lot of the big ERPs, they don't have a calculator, right? It's something that you have to do outside the system. There are tools, um, some of the niche uh, quote to cash solutions that do have uh, an SSP calculator, right? Um, you know, for example, Zuora happens to have an SSP analyzer tool. Um, you know, depending on the client situation, uh, just to use an example, if the client has an ERP um, and they don't have an, an SSP calculator, that's something that we could help them build, right? We could uh, put together a model. You could use, I'm making this up, you know, Altrix. Again, it would be dependent on what standard technology solutions are in the client's environment, right? We could build a tool that would actually do the calculation that would then enable, you know, the client to perform some of their functions as opposed to having to keep it in an Excel spreadsheet, right? Which I think is, unfortunately, as one of my fellow partners like to say, you know, the most common technology tool in the uh, in the environment today, right? Because if you can get some type of solution that's a bit more controlled that you actually are able to put in place, you can do that, right? So if it's a smaller project, for example, the one I just described, and they're only needing assistance with this calculation engine, you know, we could do that, right? If the client is actually, and they're very clear on what their needs are, right? Because I think the piece that is commonly a problem is you don't know what you don't know, right? And a lot of my clients will tell me that and they'll say, well, Pete, here's what I think my problem is. Um, but, you know, maybe you can help me um, just by providing a perspective on how I look at things end to end. Um, and, and I think that's where the more complex solutions come into play um, as you understand what that client situation is. So let's take the SSP calculator as one small right size solution. And then let's take another situation where the client goes, you know, Pete, I'm actually really struggling with a, uh, an end to end quote to cash solution to really address the needs of um, you know, my subscription and uh, consumption models. And so what we'll do is we'll sit down with them. Okay, have you gone through the normal um, use case definition, right? So then they put together a use case definition, um, which just to be clear, a use case definition isn't 180 um, corner case scenarios, right? It's usually somewhere in the ballpark of you know, 10 to 15 core functional uh, capabilities that you need um, to be able to process their activities. And so we'll help them put that together. Um, we might talk about data. We might talk about, you know, the various technology solutions. We might talk about, you know, various consumption business models or other revenue streams that they have today, right? And we might look at what they might need in the future, like look five years out as an example. Put those together, that's the baseline that starts the business requirements document, right? And then you actually then sit with a client to define, okay, let's go through a system selection process. Do you know what you want to use? Do you want to uh, go to various vendors? Do you want to talk about them, right? So there's a very... Um, methodical process as you go through this. And then how you actually choose to put in place the system that you select 
you know, we can obviously do that as well, where we get excited about it. Maybe it's going to be more of a, you know, comprehensive solution. Maybe it's going to be, you know, piece, piece parts that are going to be connected together. Maybe you're going to take well, I'm going to actually work with my ERP, recognizing that these five things need to be done outside the system. We can help put in place processes to address those five things. Um, or maybe we're doing a complete implementation uh, of a new quote to cash solution, which, you know, in in many situations um, is the best answer for our clients, recognizing that, you know, they want to, you know, be able to scale. They want the solution to be agile, flexible um, and grow. So and to answer your question, I mean, there's uh, many different ways that we can help our clients. And I think that the, you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, we have the background in both accounting and systems so that we're looking at it holistically. Um, what are your needs? Are they short-term? Are they long-term? Are they, um, you know, significant? Are they more uh, short-term in nature in terms of a, a smaller effort, et cetera? And, uh, you know, we can tailor the solution to add the value to the client and, you know, truly kind of drive not only the implementation of the solution, but also how you might be measuring the return on investment, right? Because every client right now today is looking for, okay, so what do I get in terms of uh, a return and how quickly can I break even slash do I actually, you know, pay for this solution that I have uh, into the future and you know, actually get the money back? Absolutely. And I do want to dive um, a, a click deeper on the ROI conversation. But before we do, you said something that was really interesting to me in, in talking about how you right size those and something was along the lines of the use cases. And I think, you know, in, in the world in which I operate, a lot of times when we go and try and help um, a, a client try to automate their revenue, one of the things we do is ask about those use cases. And quite often we get into a conversation where we're trying to solve for all of the scenarios across all of the transactions. And curious how you approach and might um, make recommendations and, and explain why it is best to keep those use cases to some of those more general, say, 10 to 15 use cases that covers maybe a majority of, um, you know, the scenarios that are that they're going to run into and, and automate those versus maybe doing something differently for the corner cases. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, what I would say is, what you're truly trying to get out of the use cases is the functionality that you need the solution to be able to perform. So there might be nuances of various different functionality, um, I'll say spins, but the reality is if the functionality can be met, let's say, for example, that I you know, want to do some type of contract grouping, um, as long as I know I can group the contracts in certain ways, I don't need to know the 10 different ways that they need to be grouped. Right. That's just a, a very uh, small example. But I have been at many clients where they have, you know, had upwards of 150 use cases. And, you know, I've said, look, you know, let's actually trim that. And that that specific example, we got them down to 15. Right. And it's really kind of combining them as you go forward. So you're 100 percent right. Um, and then secondarily, on the corner cases, you want to understand, you know, what you're going to actually have to um, you know, put into the use cases that how many of your um, transactions go through these, right? If it's a very small population um, and it is not something that you uh, are expecting the business to take, you know, full advantage of in the future, you know, do you want to automate that? Um, and maybe, maybe not, right? So you need to really kind of think about those um, because I would not encourage you or companies to try and 
you know, put in more than 15 use cases because those are really going to be the requirements traceability um, use cases that are going to flow through. And, you know, if you get more than 20, and I think some of my large, large clients um, would get up to 20, but no more than that. I, I literally have some of the largest clients in the world and we don't have more than 20 use cases. And so to your point, you want to group them. You want to basically focus on what's the functionality that I want to be able to see the system do. And let's use that as what my use case is that I want to actually then, you know, ensure that the uh, the systems can either do that or no, they can't. And then we'll have to build something outside the system or potentially customize. Yeah. And, and I think to that point, if you're getting to the point where you're kind of considering what you need to customize, then you're no longer using this rules-based approach, which then you're maybe limiting yourself in future scalability. So it's this, it's a, it's an important conversation to have. And it's good to know that folks like yourself are out there that can help sort of um, maybe play devil's advocate to things when folks might think they need those 30 plus type of use cases when really you don't need that many. I would just add to that recommendations to my clients and, and to anybody that's you know listening as we go through here is customize as little as possible to the extent that you're taking something um, off the shelf. Um, the majority of the solutions are subscription, <laughs> um, which you could well imagine, right? And that anytime you customize, you're basically putting in place some tech debt, tech debt that you're going to have to address. Um, even with the best laid plans, what we've found is that um, you know, the majority of the customizations don't last more than a couple of years, even if they went down the path, they actually, you know, try then to remove them out later down the road, just because of the fact that it's something that is going to take more time and more effort. So, you know, what we're seeing companies do, generally speaking, is that they're taking the off the shelf solutions um, and modifying their business process if they have to. Um, but also noting that there is a significant amount of functionality in the systems today. So that. You know, the reality is you're probably not losing much, if any, of the functionality as you find the right system for you. So to that point, then, if we are thinking about doing a system implementation um, and an automation project, what are some of your recommendations around getting buy-in and proving that ROI for some of these big projects? And curious what you've seen either work particularly well or maybe not work well um, as going through and trying to define what that value looks like. For any project that a company is looking to undertake, I think that there needs to be a, an appropriate return on investment analysis that's being done. And as you look through the quote to cash cycle, right? I'm glad you started with that because I think that's an important piece. What are you trying to accomplish? Um, my, my experience has shown me that companies <clears throat> like to do this in two ways. One, they're looking to do the comprehensive quote to cash optimization, um, or two, they're looking to do specific, uh, component, uh, optimization. And I think that there's an aspect of, you know, when you do the ROI on the, I'll call it larger enterprise, uh, quote to cash cycle process. Or if you're looking at it on, a, a, I'll say, a, a one-off, I think you need to be mindful of kind of how the environment currently works, how easy or difficult it is going to be to put in place a, a, a point and shoot as opposed to the, the comprehensive solution. I guess the piece that I would probably share from my experience is going back to the days of 2017, 
when the majority of the companies were trying to get compliant with ASC 606, right? Public companies for 2018 um, requirement uh, timeline. Many companies went in and they said, oh, look, I'm just going to do the revenue management solution implementations and I'll have that so that I can actually meet the, the guidelines of what needs to be done. Now, it was interesting. Some companies were able to do that very effectively and that their quote to cash cycle was actually quite robust, that they had the appropriate, you know, uh, CRM solutions, CPQ solutions, um, and technology solutions to actually pass the information um, to the revenue management system, which was great, right? Some, on the other hand, though, didn't. Um, and what we ended up having to do to help them get to that line is to create a transformation layer in between them. Um, and that transformation layer became a, you know, if it's a public company, a SOX reporting controlled um, component of their end-to-end architecture. Um, and they're, in some cases, still maintaining that today. And so if you look at that, you know, could you actually have done the entire quote to cash uh, solution implementation? And it's interesting as we kind of look back in time, you know, especially as business models are changing, um, the broader implementation is just as, I'll say, relevant. So to your point, you know, I would go through um, a rigorous return on investment. I would go through a rigorous um, assess phase, if you will. Uh, in terms of understanding what it exactly is that you're trying to achieve, right? And the interesting piece is that part of that business integration responsibility is to help drive the return on investment and validate that what actually was expected to be achieved. Uh, there's a way to measure that as you actually go down the path after go live to make sure that the system is actually achieving that, right? So um, I couldn't stress enough how important that is you know, it's funny because I was actually going to ask if, as you were going through and talking, if the current macroeconomic environment has impacted that. And and I know there's a lot of cost cutting going on. So kind of curious how your clients are thinking about it. Do you see projects being canceled or delayed or maybe, um, you know, just maybe even continuing to go forward because although it is sometimes spending money, but it's spending money to eventually cut costs. So kind of curious how you've seen, um, and maybe it varies across industry, maybe it varies across client size, but how has that current macroeconomic environment impacted your business? Yeah, I mean, I would say, look, the reality is the market is slowing down a little bit, at least from how they're the large scale implementations that um, that we have seen historically. Um, now, the definition of slowing down is probably the, uh, the question mark here, right? Um, we are still seeing companies move forward with their optimization of quote to cash. And, and I think some of that has to do with they have to. Um, the reality of the situation is that their current solutions technology-wise can't actually do what they need to do. Um, and so you, you're not going to take a step back um, to, uh, you know, um, to just make a, a quote cost reduction if you can help it, um, right? Obviously, there's certain financial situations that various companies are faced with that challenge them. But I would say, you know, in a nutshell, I'd say that the sales cycles are just a little bit longer. Um, I think that the due diligence to validate that the quote solution that is being selected is actually the right one is probably where we're just seeing uh, things, you know, slow down a little bit. Um, and so, you know, the... The fact of the matter is we're still helping out a lot of companies with the broader quote to cash implementation. Um, in some cases, um, you know, the companies are going, you know what, I, I, I recognize that I 
wanted to do a holistic implementation of the broader quote to cash cycle, but maybe I'm just going to look at one um, area of the solution. For example, maybe I'm just going to implement revenue management and then make sure that the solution that we're implementing is agile and can be, quote, augmented with other uh, technologies or revenue streams, et cetera, if they're passed, you know, upstream down to it. So, you know, in a nutshell, I, I have found that the market is holding uh, pretty strong as it relates to quote to cash solutions. Um, and I think that that makes sense in that companies are trying to expand their footprint. And as I said at the very beginning, we're starting to see companies move to the subscription and consumption and usage business models. And I think to do that, you know, they need to make sure that they've got the right technology tools in place. And I think that, you know, part of their strategy for success is almost requiring them to, uh, to take a look at the, uh, the quote to cash cycle and uh, to revamp various components. So, yeah, I would say that in a nutshell, things are slowing down, not stopping. Um, and, you know, like in some cases, there are some stoppings. Uh, but I think, again, it depends on the client's environment. And I think a lot of clients, companies, et cetera, are betting on the long game which let's get a solution in place that can be agile and scale. Agreed. And, you know, when you brought up the consumption again, um, at least within the high tech industry, curious, you know, you'd mentioned you're actually seeing it across multiple industries now. What are some of those industries and what's probably the most surprising industry that you've seen consumption kind of work its way into that maybe you've started to delve into that you didn't necessarily think you would otherwise? Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite exciting. Um, I would say, you know, you see financial services, which you probably would have guessed, right, with fintech. Um, you see healthcare, um, which is, you know, um, health tech, et cetera. The one area that I thought was quite interesting is around automotive, right, and in terms of what are you seeing in this space. And then, you know, obviously with a lot of movement to um, electric vehicles, um, there's a lot of technology that is uh, that is being um, sold with uh, with vehicles, et cetera. And then you start to think about some of the subscriptions that would go with that, right? Is there a map functionality? I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, not going into any uh, of the trade secrets, right? But the reality is there's a significant component of an add-on um, service that could be provided as part of the vehicle, right? Um, obviously, when you think about traditional maintenance, um, you, know, you don't need an oil change for an electric car, right? Um, and you start to think about, okay, what do you need, right? Well, it's potentially software increases, or maybe it's self-driving uh, functionality, et cetera. You start to think about, okay, what is, how is that being sold? Um, and, you know, how do you account for it? So, you know, maybe just to answer your question is that there is not an industry that I don't see starting to move to a consumption and subscription model. Um, I think it's a matter of how fast and, you know, how accounting policies are updated to incorporate this. And then secondarily on material, the, um, the specific uh, consumption and uh, usage slash subscription component of the company's revenue, um, you know, it is. So I, I, I'm really bullish. Um, it's very interesting to me to see kind of how, you know, companies across industry are asking for uh, perspectives from the tech sector, right? Hey, you all did this you know, several years ago, what did you learn? So I expect it just to continue to evolve to all the industries. And I expect that you're going to see more of the subscription and usage consumption business models um, in a broader uh, and more, um, you know, a, a larger, uh, more pervasive um, type of incorporation into, you know, all the industries. 
Yeah, it's that point specifically. I'm curious to see just how big it gets because at first I could kind of see it in a few ways. And then I started to see it permeate it, uh, across these industries and within businesses, then that consumption um, business model was really growing even within these businesses. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. It'll be interesting to see in you know, five years where we end up and, and what that's going to look like. And curious if you have a take on that, if you think it's really going to take off, if you think we're going to come up with another sort of um, business model. But do you have a, a prediction, for lack of a better term, on that? It's, it's a great question. I mean, I, I guess my initial reaction is I, I actually thought it would take slower than it has um, to get there. I think that with COVID, I think it actually got accelerated. I think the really interesting piece is going gonna, is gonna to be how generative AI comes into this mix. Um, look, I don't know this. I'm just making some guesses. But I think as you start to see product augmentation, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, around generative AI and how various products might be sold with a technology component to it. I think that's going to evolve the, um, the subscription and consumption uh, solutions faster um, than what I had planned. So look, I, I, I'm, I'm already starting to see uh, clients, uh, companies, I should say, in all sectors want to start the dialogue, which I think is a step in the right direction. We're starting to see um, first movers um, you know, have already finished the cycle right? We're into what I call fast followers, right? And that basically it's actually kind of that next wave. We have the first movers and now we have the fast followers. So, you know, how quickly will it take from there? It's now a matter of, you know, how much more of an advantage were the um, the first movers have over their competition, which I think will drive how quickly everybody else will start to move this along. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So final question. What's the one mistake that you consistently see various accounting teams make when it comes to either automation or processes or maybe a little bit of both um, in how they operate and that you would make a recommendation to change? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the one comment that I would make, and this might sound a little self-serving, but I think it's actually really important. And I think that when companies take this on, it's imperative that they're looking at the entirety of the cycle, right? So you take, for example, the quote to cash cycle. If you just look at one area, right, call it um, revenue, right, you're going to miss things upstream that need to be captured. Um, and so, you know, the fact of the matter is maybe you get a consultant that sees the end to end cycle, or maybe you get the right individual within an organization to come together and look at it holistically. All right. The challenge that you have, obviously, is the competing priorities on what's most important. All right. Is, as human nature would dictate, um, the area that you are most connected with is probably the area that you're going to you know, be more passionate about. Right? And you need to look at things holistically across that cycle to truly get the benefit that you're looking for. Um, unfortunately, we see solutions get put in place um, in a silo. And that's sometimes that after it occurs, then we get brought in. All right. It's just making sure. I mean, the goal that I would have and that, frankly, I do have is that any company that we work for, you know, is more successful and their processes are more optimized significantly than when we came in. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, uh, an opportunity for us to come in after the fact, right? But just making sure that they're looking at things comprehensively is a key piece. Um, back to your point on, you know, each cycle is kind of where I would draw the line on comprehensively. But if you're not thinking about how you might capture um, a transaction and trigger an event that actually is going to enable you know, revenue recognition upstream, right? And you don't have that in your revenue management system, you're not going to be able to optimize the entire process, right? And it's not something that you go back and you go, oh, I forgot this. Let me go fix it upstream and then everything will roll down you know, the stream uh, to, the, uh, to the lake as, as you would hope it would. It's just that that's not the way it works. So it does need to be a thoughtful plan to, uh, to ensure that you know, everything can flow as, as needed. Yes, there is an aspect of agile uh, implementation, but at the same time, if you don't have the full vision of kind of how everything fits together um, and you have not planned kind of how things are going to be implemented and what, what is quote unquote dependent on um, other things, you could definitely miss something here. And the complexities are significant. Pete, I think that is a fabulous piece of advice, one that I definitely agree with wholeheartedly. Um, and thank you so much for joining me today, Pete. It's been such a pleasure having you. Look forward to having you back again. Um, and uh, we will chat soon. My pleasure. Thank you for your time, Em. Hopefully my thoughts were helpful and uh, can help make uh, somebody else more efficient, more effective in the future. Always. Thanks again.